welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 65, an introduction to new, new media, which is the name of my new latest book. It's going to be published pretty soon on September 4th, 2009, so I thought I'd give you a brief introduction to this book, in particular how Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, blogging, all of these media are changing consumers into producers and how this has profound impact on everything from the way we watch television to the way we elect presidents. Now, it turns out I was interviewed on June 12, 2009, by Howard Gluss on his radio show, KFNX Radio. So rather than my just talking to you here, I thought it might be nice to instead play for you the interview. It's about 20 minutes long, in which I talk with Howard Gluss about new new media and their impact. So here then is the interview in its entirety, and I'll be back with a few words after the interview concludes. This is Life. Here now, your host, Dr. Howard Gluss, Ph.D. Hello and welcome to my show, The Dr. Gluss Show, and we're here every week to jolt your brain, remix your mind, and challenge you to think outside the box. And the subject that was on my mind a lot this week was this concept of this new media that we're all seeing. And one of the funny things I saw is there's a 75-year-old woman who lives next door to me. And there she was, and she was text messaging. And I looked at it, and I thought to myself, okay, why is this woman doing that, and where did she ever learn it? So I went up to her, and I asked her about it, and she's a friend of mine. She's a successful real estate agent. And she said to me, well, you know, I'm text messaging because all my uh, referrals come from my grandson, and that's the only way that they communicate. And we had a good laugh about it. And she said, if I want to stay in business, I'm going to have to understand what this new media is all about. And that got me thinking as a psychologist, what really is this new media about? We hear so much about uh, text, well, that's not even uh, new media, but uh, Twittering and uh, social networking and blogging. And I was thinking so much about how this must be affecting our behavior and even how we choose leaders. And with that thought, I contacted someone who's probably uh, one of the uh, most uh, pronounced experts in the area who just wrote a new book called The New New Media, and his name is Dr. Paul Levinson. And he's going to come on the show and talk to us both about the psychological and social impacts of new media and what it really means to all of us and who we are and how we think of the world and how we may think of the world in the future. He's a professor of media studies at Fordham University in New York City. He's written many novels, short fictions, and nonfiction books, and his books have been translated into over 12 languages. And he's done tons of interviews, uh, probably more than 500 national and uh, international television and radio interviews. And I walk to welcome Dr. Paul Levinson to the show. Uh, Paul, welcome to the show. 
Well, great to be here, Dr. Gliss, or why don't I call you Howard? And why don't I call you Paul? Okay, Paul, so before you help us make sense of all of this and what it means to us and our evolution as human beings, can you explain uh, what all this, uh, just basically what this stuff like, what is Twitter and blogging and Wikipedia and Dig and MySpace? Just give us a sense of where it's all coming from. Well, one of the things uh, that I try to do in my book, New New Media, is to distinguish between new media and new new media, and it's more than just stuttering or uh, a typo using the same word twice. If you think about new media, you're usually talking about iTunes, Amazon, Salon.com, the New York Times online. What all of those media have in common is that they are on the web. They're easily accessible but they're controlled by a top-down kind of organization. In the case of the New York Times, it's the same New York Times that publishes the newspaper that has the website. In the case of Amazon, they sell books and lots of other things, and they decide what to sell. The people who use these systems can contribute to some extent. You can review books on Amazon. You can post comments on New York Times uh, blogs. But there is a pronounced authority that permeates all of those new media. And what is that pronounced authority? Well, it, 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 it's, it's, it's someone calling the shots other someone other than the consumer. So really all of us have an opportunity to get our voices heard. Not in those new media. Uh, But if you look at Twitter or YouTube, let's take YouTube uh, as an example. Now, a lot of the videos on YouTube are professionally produced. They're clips that come off of, say, Saturday Night Live, other television shows. But at the same time, some of the most popular clips on YouTube are produced by completely unknown people prior to the production. So a couple of years ago, there was that ridiculous video, you know, give Britney a chance or whatever the guy was raving about. And that was... Poor Britney. That's right. That was seen by millions of people. So that guy who produced that video actually had the same status on YouTube as the biggest rock group in existence, as Barack Obama uh, has on YouTube. That's the distinguishing characteristic of new, new media. The consumer becomes a producer. Twitter is another example of that. Now, I'm on Twitter. There are no doubt 12, 13-year-old people on Twitter. Uh, Carl Rove is on Twitter. All of us are equal, however. It doesn't matter who you are. You have that same 140-character limitation, and your tweets can be seen by as many people uh, who as are out there who are interested in what you are writing about. So in all of these systems, Wikipedia is another example. Now, you, you look at the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's a classic authoritarian, expert-driven system meaning the way that the words get into the Encyclopedia Britannica is a group of experts hire other experts, and 
they produce a wonderful encyclopedia. In fact, uh, that's still one of my favorite books. I consult it all the time. Wikipedia, in contrast, is written in principle by everyone. No one is able to write because he or she is an expert. They're able to write on Wikipedia because they have something to say. And there was a fascinating survey that was done a couple of years ago, quite controversial, which tried to analyze and compare the number of errors found in the Encyclopedia Britannica in comparison to the number of errors found in Wikipedia. And to a lot of people's surprise, not mine, but to a lot of people's surprise, there was virtually no difference in the level of errors, which means that Wikipedia, even though it's not written by experts, because it's constantly read and checked and looked over and edited by anyone and everyone, that that mode of error discovery and correction leads to a degree of accuracy which has, which is as good as the classic epitome of encyclopedias. So that's what all these new new media have in common. That the it, consumer really becomes the producer, right. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about that, but one of the experiences I have uh, being uh, on some people's Twitter list is, well, well, two thoughts. One is, I don't feel like I need to know every little thought that the person's doing. It actually, I start experiencing an inter- information overload, and I feel that that numbs me to uh, the information I'm getting. There, it just becomes too much information, uh, and, and I don't know what's important and what to focus on, so I just shut down. And as I experienced that, I was wondering, in your opinion, if that could be where we're headed with all this uh, type of communication, that eventually people are just going to feel overwhelmed and overloaded. Well, one of the things I've been saying for years is that there's no such thing as information overload. In fact, what we do suffer from is information underload, meaning we don't have enough navigational information to help us make sense of all the information that's out there. If you think about what exactly. happens, when, that's a good point. Okay. Yeah, and if you think about what happens when, when you when you walk into a bookstore, right, or a library, let's face it, there are far far too many books there for anyone to read or make sense of. And we might feel a temporary fleeting twinge of, oh, my God, where is the book that I'm looking for? But usually most of us pretty quickly, you know, we know where the fiction is shelved. We know where the biographies are shelved. We know where the more recent books are shelved. That's navigational information that we have learned pretty much, you know, in public school, in first, second, third grade when we were kids. We've internalized it, and now we're comfortable not overwhelmed in those systems. What's going on online, whenever a new system is introduced, like Twitter, is, yes, there is a period of time in which people feel somewhat overwhelmed sometimes because they have not yet developed or they haven't yet found out about tools that they can use to keep track of the information that they need. So in the case of Twitter, for example, there's a very easy method of not being bothered 
by comments such as, hey, I'm waiting online to have some pizza, and then five minutes later, oh, okay, well, there are only like two people ahead of me, and then like six minutes later, oh, I just bit into the pizza, it was a right. little bit too peppery, who <laughs> or cares? Or Jimmy Moore, and I just ha- I'm at the dentist. And- <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. You, you, who cares? You don't need well, to a lot of people obviously do care because there is this whole, you know, obsession with celebrity. Well, that's true. I mean, if a celebrity goes to a dentist, I guess people, you know, care about that. But if you don't want to read it, just block that person. You, in other words, you don't see anything on Twitter that you don't want to see. And some people quite actively prune the list of people that they follow. Um, because I'm interested in Twitter, well, for a variety of reasons. One, because I wrote about it in my book and I'm you know constantly studying Twitter and systems like that but also right up there because I use it to help get word out of, about things that I'm interested in whether it's my own books or political causes or uh, anything that I want people to know about and conversely I use it to find out about things that I might be interested in um, so for me, I, I like a, this mac, a, a maximum of information. You know, there's, there's always an issue whenever you decide to restrict information, you can wind up restricting too much information. You know, there are, two, there, there are two kinds of errors. One is the nonsense that you get because the gates are wide open. And then the other is when you close the gates, you have the possibility of the error of shutting out something that might be useful. So my personal approach is leave the gates wide open. And create systems that can help filter the gates. That's right. Uh, But if you don't want to, you know, you can shut them very easily. Right. So that's what you're saying is that as these systems evolve, like anything else, we also evolve with systems that can help filter it. What about the negative side of it, the, you know, what's called the bullying or the darker side of human nature where, you know, information is so easily uh, accessible like what we just saw, let's say, with the uh, shooting at the Holocaust Museum in Washington where, you know, the Internet and online services really promoted that level of anti-Semitism so quickly? Well, this is a very serious problem. I have a chapter in the book called The Dark Side of New New Media, uh, a few years ago, I uh, gave a talk at a conference, uh, and I entitled it Guns, Knives, and Pillows. Right. And what I tried to do in that talk is get at the question, are there any inherently bad or good technologies? Now, if you think about a gun, it's pretty bad. I mean, I'm not in favor of, you know, widespread uh, use of guns, but guns are not unremittingly bad. They do have their uses. If someone is starving to death, you know, and a deer is running by, it's it's good to have a gun. Uh, so a gun can be used for good things. It can be used for defense, you know, defense of yourself or your family. That's a good thing. Uh, well, therefore, guns are not all bad, but then let's see if we can think of, of maybe a technology that's all good, like a, a pillow. Well, we can use a pillow, unfortunately, to suffocate someone. someone to death. So, right, exactly. So I came to conclusion. We're going to take a quick break. That's a great point to take our discussion about whether pillows are actually of great value to people and great harm. And I have a feeling we're, what we're going to come up with, it, it's the person behind the pillow that really has a lot to do with it. I'm Dr. Howard Gluff, and we're here on KFNX. And we're here to challenge your mind, remix your brain, and make you think outside the box. And we're 
back with the Dr. Glass Show, and my guest is Dr. Paul Levinson, and we're talking about the new new media. And Paul, before we continue our discussion, if people wanted to find out more about your work or your book, how would they do so? Probably the best uh, place uh, to find out about me is just my old-fashioned web page, and it's Paul The Levinson. old, old media. <laughs> yes, <laughs> nothing too fancy. Uh, P-A-U-L-L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N dot info, I-N-F-O. And th- it, so it's Paul Levinson dot info. And the and book is not out yet, right? No, the book will be out in a, in a month or two. I'm, uh, I'm actually in the delightful phase of just going over final page proofs. And um, it should be out in late July, early uh, August. But you can find out information about the book on the uh, paullevinson.info page. Uh, you can also find out more information at newnewmediabook.com. And I'll remind our listeners that this will be available also as a new, new I don't know if that's new or just new media, uh, podcast at www.radiodoctorglass. That's drgluss.com. And if you want to email me, it's drdrhowardgluss at live.com. And if you want to call in the old-fashioned way, it's 602-277-KFNX. Toll-free number is 1-866-536-1100. And, Paul, before the break, we were talking about the darker side of human nature. I was getting the example of what just recently happened at the Holocaust Museum and, and how, you know, that type of anti-Semitism was spread, uh, you know, through the media, through the new media. And you started to talk about this concept of a pillow. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, well, as you uh, accurately foresaw, I was going to say that, that the pillow, although it seems like an innocuous medium, can be a device of murder in the wrong hands. And so... All technologies, I think, are different kinds of knives, meaning they can be used to cut food. That's good. But they can also be used to cut people. And unless it's a surgeon who's doing that, uh, that that's not a good thing. Now, that's not to say that different media don't have specific biases towards creating certain kinds of problems. And there's no doubt that one of the things that new new media do is they do make it easier for hate to be spread. Uh, there are even names for some of these things like cyberbullying, uh, making fun of kids online, cyber stalking in which uh, especially you know young teenage girls who may mistakenly give their name and address to someone who's uh, not a very savory character. There are real dangers here. But at the same time, uh, the, the new new media provide unprecedented ways of combating these things. It's never been easier to warn people. Uh, it's much more difficult for these kinds of crimes to be committed and then the people who do them just disappear into the woodwork because usually there's some kind of record of them. Um, but to be clear about all this and, and my view about the media in general and new new media in particular, if you think about the the assassination of Dr. Tiller, and there was a lot of talk about how, you know, media stirred that up, and there's no doubt that they, that the media did to some extent. But 
from my perspective, the, the main source that we have to look at that made that assassination possible was how did this lunatic manage to get a gun in his hand so that he could kill uh, Dr. Tiller? And what sometimes happens is well-meaning people mistakenly blame the media for terrible things simply because the media is dispersing information about it, which may not be helpful in particular situations, but it's rarely, if, if ever, the cause, I think, of, of the atrocity. I agree with you. I think one of the risks we take in, in a free media is the, you know, the, if we're going to have the freedom to say what it is that we want, uh, I think what we eventually have to evolve into is creating some balances and checks and maybe some laws that can help, you know, sort of filter the darker side of these events. Because uh, ultimately, you know, if the, the guy who killed Dr. Uh, um, uh, Tiller, thank you, the guy who killed Dr. Tiller, you can blame it on the media, but, you know, if it wasn't for the media, he would have found out that information in other ways. Exactly. So you're really talking about the person. And, you know, if they have a, a psychotic bent to them, whether it's walking into a Holocaust museum and shooting someone or, or killing someone in this way, uh, you know, you're, you're starting with someone who's probably pretty unbalanced and actually thinks they're creating a very heroic act. Yeah, that's right. I came across uh, years ago, about 20 years ago, uh, an anthropological study. Apparently uh, some bones were dug up and they were carbon dated to about 1300. This is before Columbus, someplace in the Midwest. And apparently one group of Indians had savagely massacred another group of Indians, you know, men, women, and children, and didn't just kill them. It was clear from the bones that they had been really, you know, mutilated in, in, a, in a very sadistic way. And what media were in existence in the year 1300 in the United States? You know what? Smoke signals, right. word of mouth. So I mean, unfortunately, it's human nature. You know, I mean, you know, I have this terrible thought, but imagine if Hitler had Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Well, well that's you know, Hitler was an expert, by the way, using manipulating radio. the media of the time. Uh, that's right, but but new new media would have made it more difficult for Hitler because it would have uh, strengthened the opposition that did exist in Nazi Germany. There was a group called the White Rose, which actually used an early Xerox machine in the late 30s and early 40s to combat Hitler, and they managed to do that for about three or four years before the Gestapo finally got them. Um, but if they had had better... Uh, more sophisticated, new, new media back then, Hitler might not have been able to stay in power. It's an interesting thought, you know, and as we think of leadership and power, I was wondering what you thought of our President Barack Obama's use of the new media. Well, his campaign uh, is going to go down in history as the first campaign that really marshaled uh, the new, new media. Howard Dean tried to. And he was briefly thought of as the Internet candidate in 2004. But if you think about the media that existed back then, YouTube didn't exist then. Twitter didn't exist then. It was just too, a little too early. I don't even think blogging really existed. Well, it just did. The blogging was there, but certainly not as much as it is now. And, you know, I can personally attest to the role that uh, these media played in Obama's campaign because on Election Day, my wife and I, who are ardent Obama supporters, wanted to do something. You know, I'd been writing a lot of blogs. But what we did is we logged on to Barack Obama's um, 
website and easily got lists of names of people who said they were going to vote for Obama in various swing states. And we spent a couple of hours calling them uh, right through our computers. And, you know, Obama won by a landslide, not because of what we did then, but but imagine, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people doing that just on that one day. And that was in many ways just one of many things that the Obama campaign did. Uh, and now in his presidency, um, there's no doubt that he is much more on top of the new new media. He has a YouTube address. In many ways, Obama is the equivalent to new new media as Franklin Delano Roosevelt was to radio and JFK to television. And where do you see uh, the new new media evolving? Well, I think that uh, the most like significant... What you say? What's next? Yeah, the most significant step is an easier way to get them. And even though we now have iPhones and Blackberries and little devices that we carry with us, it'll get even easier than that. In fact, I've been talking about something I think of as smart earrings. We'll have a little thing attached to our ear that we can, you know, press. That, that will enable us to get all kinds of uh, information and uh, maybe even eventually, you know, things in our eyeglasses that we can, you know, use as little screens to be in touch with uh, Twitter, YouTube, and everything else. But in, within all of this, and as we come to the end of your, your show, I want, first of all, I want to thank you so much and remind our listeners that the book is New New Media, and it will be available shortly. And you can always go to Dr. Uh, Paul Levinson's uh, email address to get more information. I think within all of it, we have to remember that behind the new media, it's really the person that's operating it and going to influence that makes a big difference. Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. And you can always listen to this podcast at www.radiodrglus.com. Hey, I'm Paul Levinson of Levinson News Clips, and if you would like a review of your favorite television show, maybe 30 minutes to an hour after the show has finished airing on television, and a review that's not going to take up much of your time, just four or five minutes, you want to go to Levinson News Clips. That's right, I have reviews of 24 Lost Heroes. Battlestar Galactica, I'll be doing something for Caprica, that's for sure. Californication, Wired, The Tudors, everything. And you can get them really within an hour after the show has been broadcast for the first time, sometimes even a little faster. So that's L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N-N-E-W-S-C-L-I-P-S dot com. Levinson News Clips. Come on, you know you want to do this if you're in a class somewhere in a boring office and you're thinking about that episode of Lost. You can do more than think about it. Just go to Levinson News Clips and you'll hear some of my reviews and views of that show. Levinson News Clips. L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N-N-E-W-S-C-L-I-P-S dot com. TV Reviews.
And I want to thank Howard Gloss again for that very enjoyable interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And I wanted to tell you about our LightOnLightThrough.com webpage, which hosts this podcast. We've spruced up that webpage, and there are all kinds of new things there which you might find of great interest and value. In particular, we have a whole bunch of sponsors who have given us special coupons and codes that give you all kinds of discounts to their services. For example, you'll find a link on lightonlightthrough.com to Angie's List. And if you click on that link, you'll get 25% off your membership on Angie's List. And we also have links to Avis, Budget, eHarmony, eMusic, GoDaddy, the Wall Street Journal, Blockbuster Video, and many other sponsors. So when you have a chance, especially if you're just listening to this podcast and you haven't yet been to the webpage, go over to lightonlightthrough.com. That's L-I-G-H-T-O-N-L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com and avail yourself of all those opportunities. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Sierra had always done everything for the thrill. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. The Light on Light Through Podcast. And that's the sweet music of our promo suite. And you're going to hear promos from Mike Thinks News, the savviest podcast in town. You're going to hear from the night guy in Israel. For Sean Farrell's patio book, my first novel, The Silk Code. We're just about out of time. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy.
out the Mike Thinks podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The time in Israel is uh, two minutes after midnight. Your life is ticking away, moment by moment. Your coffee is you getting guys. cold. The time in Israel is 41 minutes after midnight, and that's true, by the way. Hi there. Do you think this world is surreal enough? Join me for an exploration of the most surreal aspects of this world on a podcast gone horribly wrong. Interviews with creative people, 100-word stories, short essays, and much, much more. Find me at nightguy.guidefeed.com. Come and join the fun, and may you never have to listen to music you don't like. Did you hear the Locus award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world, witness the wonder of ages past, and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com.